Welcome to Hydrant Church. My name is Tim. We're so glad that you're joining us online today as we worship, as we get into some music and prayer and then to the Word today. You know, it's, it's been a bit of a strange season. If I'm honest, there are a lot of mornings that I, that I wake up and I check the news app on my phone and I think, now what? Now what? Now what's happened? Now what's going on? Now what's, what's the weather sending our way in this crazy world? What is going on in politics? What is going on with this, this virus that is continuing to attack people all around the world? Now what? And it got me to thinking about that question, maybe even that prayer, now what? In this season of confusion and longing and frustration and chaos, there is a part of me that just keeps praying, now what? I think we, we all have that tendency when things are challenging, when we're confused and we're not really sure what's going on and it feels like something new and terrible is, is happening every day or every week. We just kind of like, now what? Now what? And then it... There's the seasons that are ones that are filled with longing, hoping for something different, hoping for something new, hoping that God would, would bring about something miraculous in our lives. And we just kind of think, now what? What am I supposed to do while I wait? And then there's frustration when, when, when things aren't going our way and we're not sure how to respond and just like, now what am I supposed to do? And then in the chaos, when, when everything is a bit chaotic, when everything is unsure, when, when it doesn't seem to be any rhyme or reason to what's happening, when, when our actions don't seem to have measurable results, we kind of think, well, now what am I supposed to do? Now what? Now what? It, it rises in us from all sorts of places. And, and I think part of why we're feeling this question, this prayer, this angst of, of now what in a time like this is so connected to all of the uncertainty and even this sense of powerlessness. Like the world is changing, at least our world is changing, and we're not sure where it's going. We're not sure how it's happening. We're not sure if we like it. We're not even sure what to do or how to respond or how to act, what it's okay to say, what it's okay to do, how any of this is going to work. And I think it really relates to a time in Israel's history, a time when everything they knew and everything they built felt like it was crumbling down. When, when they felt like there were, there were authorities over them that they didn't agree with, that they didn't like, and they didn't believe in. The truth is that while I'm recording this today, they've yet to, yet to determine the results of, of the election in our country. And many of us are asking, now what? Now what do we do? Do we do recounts? Do we, do we have to have runoffs? What's happening? How are we supposed to respond? For half the nation, roughly half the nation, no matter which one of these guys gets elected, the other half is going to be asking this question, now what? Now what am I supposed to do? Now what's happening in the world? And we just feel this angst. And I think it connects to the season of exile for the people of God. 
When we look into the Scriptures, the prophets speak out to Israel. Some speak out as a warning telling them that if things don't change in Israel, God is going to bring about a punishment. God is going to bring about an exile. He is going to do whatever it takes to get you back on track. And then throughout the prophets, they are speaking to the people in exile and after exile, and they are pointing them to the way of God. They're helping them to interpret what's happening and to know what to do in the midst of this chaotic season. You see, Israel had moved on to the land and they had grown in the land that God had promised. They had built their own kingdoms. They'd built their temple and they built palaces and homes and vineyards. The strange thing in this process is they had kind of forgotten who they are. They were a people set free from Egypt, set free from slavery by a God who hates slavery. And yet King Solomon, when he builds the temple, forces the very children of God back into slavery, forces them into labor on the temple for the God who hates slavery. There's an irony and a sadness to this. They'd forgotten who they were. Not only this, they got wealthy off the land, but they failed to take care of the land. We see that they failed to celebrate Jubilee, a year of letting the land rest. They failed to live in a way on the earth that was sustainable and could last. And so God allows a, a foreign empire to come in and to conquer them and to march their leaders into exile. Jeremiah is one who speaks out to the people in exile, and he's, he's known as a weeping prophet. God tells them, you're going to speak, but nobody's going to understand, nobody's going to hear, nobody's going to listen, nobody's going to do what you're instructing them to do, but you still got to keep speaking. You still got to keep, keep teaching my ways. In Jeremiah 29, we find one of these messages. It's a letter to the people in exile. And look, can we make the connection and see that, that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, we're kind of in an exile in our world? There was a time when we had political power. There was a time when we had seats of authority. There was a time when we had influence over the culture as a whole in the United States, but that time has ended. And it, there may be ways that we didn't handle that influence responsibly. We maybe didn't take care of people the way we were supposed to. Perhaps we didn't take care of the land in a sustainable way. Perhaps we have forgotten who we are as a people and God has allowed us into an exile, into a post-Christian world where we've lost influence. We're not particularly proud of any of our leaders as a, as a nation. The, the culture goes in ways that we disagree with and we feel caught in it and feel a bit out of place, like we're in exile. And so maybe the words of Jeremiah can connect to us. They can connect to us as well. And it begins at verse 1 of chapter 29 in Jeremiah. It says, This is the text of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the surviving elders among the exiles and to the priests. The prophets and all the other people Nebuchadnezzar had carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. 
This was after King Jehoiakim and the queen mother, the court officials, and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the craftsmen and the artisans had gone into exile from Jerusalem. He entrusted the letter to Elisa, son of Shaphan, and to Gamaria, son of Hilkiah. From Zedekiah, king of Judah, sent to King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon, it said this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. The word there. Lord Almighty, you might notice in your, in your Bible that the word Lord is all capitals. It refers to this word Adonai, and it's in all capitals because in the original language, it was the name for God, Yahweh. And whenever they would read that name, they would change it to Adonai out of respect and honor. So when we see this, we realize this is the God of Israel speaking to his children, speaking to his people, using his own name. He says, this is what I'm saying to you. In verse 5, build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Don't decrease. Don't shrink back. Also, Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I've carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Yes, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you. Do not listen to their dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I'll come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. I don't know if you can resonate with those words at all, if they connect you, but it, to me it feels like this is a, a message that the prophet could have been written, writing to us today as we ask this question, now what? With the, the results of an election still impending, and for some of us it feels like they're looming over us in a world that may be changing faster than we can keep up with, in a world where, where authorities and policies change seemingly overnight, we can ask, now what? What am I supposed to do in this world? What am I supposed to do in a world where I don't agree with the elected officials? What am I supposed to do in a world where things are backwards and upside down? And in us, there can be this fear that rises up. This question often begins in a place of fear. We realize 
that we've come to the end of ourselves, right? Like, like we have come to the end of our power, our, our power to make ourselves and the world and our lives turn out the way we want them to. We, we come to a place where we realize that we're at the end of our ability to control things, to control the results of an election, to control the, the way that our community changes, to, to control the way that, that our culture is shifting, to control the way that people see us and respond to us, to control those things around us that we want to control just to feel safe. We realize that we're at the end of our ability to manipulate things the way we wish. And from there, we cry out in this fear of what now? What now? And it's often that what now becomes a a cry of rage and anger at what we've lost or what we had hoped for somehow not being. And we don't know what to do. And, And when we feel afraid, it often gets translated into anger when it gets spilled out on others. And it's what now? What now? And we become angry that we we feel like we've been robbed of something. We've been robbed of a way of life that we liked. We've been robbed of of a politician that we liked, a leader that we liked, a system that we liked. We've been robbed of a system that somehow benefited us over others. We've been robbed of hope. And when we feel like those things have been robbed from us, we get angry. And we ask, what now? What am I supposed to do now? What's going to happen now? What in the world is going on in the world now? And there's this fear and and rage. And as it begins to soften, it turns into disappointment and sadness. And we just, what now? What am I supposed to do now? As we begin to accept our situation as it is, except the reality of life as it is, the mystery of loss and life and death and change. And, and in this mystery, we just, what now? And it comes from this place of disappointment. Disappointment at what didn't go our way. Disappointment at the loss of one we've loved or the loss of the life we thought we deserved loss of so many things and when that loss hits we just come to this place of disappointment and what now leads to desperation and at its best what now when we allow it to take its course will sink into this place of curiosity and it shifts from a question it shifts from an expression it shifts from this rhetorical thing to something real and becomes curiosity. And we begin to think, well, what now? What's possible now that wasn't before? What could I do now that I couldn't do before? Who am I now as a result of this loss or this pain or this struggle? What now? What do I do with this now to to bring about good? What is God doing in the midst of this to bring about good? What what now? We see him we see him go through this with Israel in this letter to the exiles as as they are at this place of fear and desperation and 
and, and, and rage even of what now? We're, we're stuck here. God has abandoned us. He's forgotten us. And they're, they're calling out. They're asking the prophets to tell them it'll all be okay. It'll all get better. We'll be back in power. Get back into power. We'll be back in charge. Just hold on. It's coming around the corner. God won't let this thing happen. And then Jeremiah offers another what now? Settling into this place of, okay, this is our reality. This is our life. What can we do now? And Jeremiah says, well, we could build houses and plant gardens and we can get married and have kids and we can increase in number instead of decrease in number. We can settle down and be present. We can be in this moment. We can, we can be here. Because the Lord says it may take a while. Yes, there are plans for hope and joy. We've heard in the New Testament of the plans of Jesus who says, I've gone to prepare a place. But we don't know how long it's going to take. We may wish it was tomorrow or yesterday or right now, but it's not yet. And in this not yet, as we ask, now what? Jeremiah provides a pathway. Lean in. Pour into your neighbors, into your city, into your community with love. Build homes. Build a life. Enjoy the gift of this place and this moment in time that God has given you. I think curiosity is underrated. <laughs> the ability to just keep asking, now what? What's possible? What if? What could we? What good might come? It doesn't deny. It doesn't deny the heartbreak or the desperation or the disappointment or even the, the loss of power that has precipitated the question. It doesn't deny those things. It just leans in further until it comes to this place of, okay, what do we do with this? Where do we go with this? What's possible now? What could we do next? You know, there's a humility built into curiosity. This humility is this idea that we don't have the answers. We don't have control. We don't know everything we're supposed to do. So with this humility, we lean in asking the question over and over again. Finally, curiosity is an antidote to despair. When we don't know what to do and we think it's all falling apart, it comes from a place of believing that tomorrow has to be just like today. But hope is built in the possibility of discovering something new, doing something new, seeing God unfold something new, and it generates hope. And that hope leads to action. Hope leads to action. Curiosity leads to hope, and hope leads to action. We see it right here in Jeremiah 29 as he's writing to the exiles. He's not telling them sit back and worry. He's not telling them to hide. He's not telling them to be afraid of their captors. He's not telling them to even rebel and try to take control back. He's telling them to receive what God has given you 
and see it all as blessing, even this sense of having been banished. See it as the gift. Allow it to do its work in you and keep asking, now what? Now what? What could we do next? What is God asking me to do? What is God up to? And when you begin to get a sense of the answer, take the risk to act. He says there, build houses, settle down, plant gardens, eat what they produce. This is not fear. This is investment. This is hope. You don't plant a garden if you don't expect to enjoy the fruits of it. You don't build a house unless you expect to live in it. Invest in the future. Take all of the pain and all of the suffering and all of the struggle and see how God uses it to bring about something good in you. When we take these struggles and we shift our questions from why, why is this happening? Why did that do that? What can we do? How do we get control to, to what do I do with this? To what now? To what next? It begins to generate in us hope and courage and strength and leans us into the future. It takes us to the new thing that God is up to because God is always up to new things. And we have a, a kingdom in God, this, this realm, this way of life in which death doesn't have the last word, suffering doesn't have the last word, loss doesn't have the last word. We have a God who is resurrected, a God of hope, a God of strength, a God of love that we can lean into and find the way th forward even through fire and water and pain and loss and struggle. We have a God who continues to lead us into an unknown future. We follow him by continuing to ask, now what? Let's pray. Father, it's an, it's an uncertain time and half the people in our, our country are, are going to be celebrating over the next few weeks and half of them are going to be mourning and grieving and a little afraid. We pray for both. We pray for wisdom and compassion and love in both. We pray, God, that we would all together begin to ask, now what? Now what? How do we build unity out of this? How do we build hope out of this? How do we build strength out of this? How do we build our communities out of this? How do we build homes out of this? How do we plant gardens out of this? How do we lean into the future out of this? Now what? And whether we are grieving and asking that question out of fear and disappointment or we are hopeful and asking that question out of possibility, continue to help us to be curious, to think with the mind of Jeremiah and to see the world as Jeremiah did and not to be caught and bogged down in the confusion and chaos and frustration and longing. To not be overcome when we come to the end of ourselves, but to to cry out, what now? And it may begin in fear and rage and disappointment and des desperation, but God, continue to soften it into curiosity and hope that lead to action. In Jesus' name, amen.